I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, your podcast source for legitimate Pac-12 breakdowns on the football front, from an advanced statistical standpoint, from a gambling standpoint, and the home of the original. Pac-12 Eliminator Pool. This is Brian Conger. Thank you so much for joining us. Holy moly, we had an awesome, fun week. It's always going to be, it's, I feel like this entire season is going to be basically the same intro every week, which is, oh my goodness, what a crazy week in this conference. But a lot of very fun football games from the uh, begin, the opening kick at like 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. to all the hardcore degenerates out there that ended up watching that Cal and Washington game. I am joined as always. Oh, uh, first of all, you can follow the podcast for free on iTunes iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, subscribe, get every episode for free to your smartphone, computer, tablet, etc. You can follow us on Twitter at 12PACRadio, at 12PACRadio. And then check out our website, sharpcollegefootball.com, where all of Rob's advanced statistical data and charts and anything you would ever want to know from an advanced statistical standpoint is on that website and is all for free. And joining me, as, as always now, as a permanent host, is Mr. Max Meyer from Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated Gambling. What's going on, Max? Not much. Just, you know, another fun week for the conference of underdogs. I mean, Cal definitely, um, that was, that was a very easy cover and that was my biggest bet of the week. So, and I think that they are the poster child for the conference of underdogs because I will be betting pretty much whoever is the underdog in whatever game Cal is playing. I will be betting on uh, a beautiful defense to watch. And if you're a Washington fan listening to this podcast, um, I wouldn't be super disheartened at what, I mean, obviously it was a tough loss, but there is a lot of talent on that Washington team, but this Cal defense is so, so good and it's disciplined and it plays hard and it does not stop. And that game from just a pure football, like fanatic standpoint, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how, um, how Washington bounces back. So bear with us, Washington fans. We're definitely going to walk through that game, uh, but don't be super disheartened because that, that was a legit defense. And I'm sure the person who has the same opinion here is Mr. Rob Bowron, the creator and runner and president of the Beta Rank Advanced College Statistical Model Beta Rank. What's going on, Rob? Welcome back. Oh, no, I'm, uh, I do agree with you, actually, on that one. Like, don't get disheartened. There's a lot of young faces, um, but they'll all be back next year, and next year they'll have a lot under their belt. Um, also, the season ain't over. Like, or, like Oregon, does, Oregon looks pretty good, but not good enough to, like, run away with it, so... It was, it was, I am exhausted though. I'm totally running on fumes after that Washington lightning delay. 
um, and like needing Oregon State and uh, and and Cal to to cover their uh, to cover so that like that Beta Rank could get up uh, up to 50, just fifty two percent this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should mention that we're we're recording right now from the Vivis Seat Studio, so uh, where you can use their mobile app and save up at a hundred dollars on all ticket purchases for first time customers only. So you know, go ahead and get get some tickets, get some tickets to an Oregon game because my goodness, they looked pretty good against Nevada, and I like the way that they looked against Auburn. Um, let's talk about just general impressions in the Pac-12, another wild week. And Rob, let's let's go with you first. Where do you want to start this extravaganza? Well, I, I almost think that the what's interesting, though, is that the you have to start with, I feel like you have to start with USC. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, the, the Cal-Washington result is interesting. Um, and it throws the North into, you know, a little bit more chaos early than maybe we were expecting. But I think that what is interesting is uh, that the, the, the South might, might, and this is an air quotes because we've seen a game <laughs> mm-hmm. might be interesting with Utah. Cause I mean, I, I, I sat and I watched um, and I, I, I don't encourage anyone to watch FCS football, but um, I watched a lot of the Arizona state and Arizona games. And for some reason, the PAC 12 announcers were saying like, Oh yeah, like these teams are dark horses in the South. I was like, who are you kidding? <laughs> um, but it, it does suddenly look like Utah might not, be able to fully run away for with it because suddenly USC looks far better than we've seen them in years. Now I'll grant you Stanford is also, I don't, we, and we said coming into the season, this is, this is not four years ago, Stanford, but yeah, like I, I think that's an interesting storyline. I mean, I, 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 I think Cal losing to uh, Cal going up and beating Washington is uh, it's, it's a surprise. Um, but I thought, I mean, we all thought the line was too high. So yeah, a couple of things on that though, before, and Max, I definitely want to hear what's your thoughts on this. Cause you cover USC closer than anybody else on this podcast The I was killing the USC defense early because how many times have we seen an undisciplined, but talented defense make mistakes over and over and over again. And at the very beginning, it looked like Stanford was going to carve up that defense and they were scoring. Um, they were moving the ball. There was a number of penalties and stupid penalties and dump it. And then the second half, whatever that coaching staff did, that, that switch went on and USC's defense looked really, really good. And, and I understand it's Stanford, it's Stanford's offense. They can't run block very well. It's, this isn't as talented of a team. David Mills was there, but it seemed like they made some either adjustments or just mental adjustments with that team. And the defense really stepped up. I know obviously the whole focus is going to be on Slovis and him just tearing it up. He looked amazing, like significantly better than JT Daniels. Like if he plays 75% like he did in the Stanford game, there is a legitimate quarterback controversy in, in Los Angeles. What did you think of that game? I mean, I was absolutely blown. I, I feel like Slovis is obviously the main takeaway. Um, I mean, Stanford's defense isn't what it was but they still have one of the best cornerbacks, if not the best cornerback in the country in Paulson Adebo. And it's still a David Shaw coach team, but I just could not believe how well USU was moving the ball through the air. Granted, they actually didn't run the ball that efficiently, which I thought actually even made it more impressive. Yeah. They were averaging like 11 yards per attempt and, and they couldn't even get the run game going. I mean, obviously you have the big trio in, in Pittman and Amon Ross and Brown and Tyler Vons, but then there was also Drake London who emerged uh, against Stanford, Devin Williams, and then the three-head monster running back um, with uh, Malapai, a healthy Stephen Carr. 
and, and freshman Marquis Steph. And it's, it's just a, an overwhelming amount of skill possession talent. And if you don't have, you know, the necessary uh, pieces on defense to stop it, now that USC has someone who fits the offense really nicely, um, it's going to be really tough to stop for opposing defenses. And Stanford was, was the victim on Saturday night. Yeah, the second conference game that we had was Cal and Washington. Again, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, they had the two and a half hour delay. I was really worried about that game because I loved the energy of both teams right out of the gate and the crowd, by the way, that place was going nuts. Washington was, was coming out hot. Cal's defense looked really strong. And then you had that two and a half hour delay. And in my mind, I'm just going, man, how, how on earth are both these teams going to muster up the energy to put together, um, a really impressive showing? And they did like Cal came back out with that defense again, really disciplined. I, I love the fact that they played from the beginning to the end and they immediately stop anytime that whistle blows. And this is not the case oftentimes with the USC or uh, more undisciplined, uh, uh, defenses, although certainly again the the big shift in the second half of that SC Stanford game, but Cal's defense right when that whistle blows, they disengage like they go from eleven to zero like very very quickly, and it was really fun to watch them just hold that Washington offense, which I think will still be good in the in the coming games uh, f- for that program. But they were able re- to really put the kibosh on anything that that team was trying to do, and uh, and and were able to do it at one o'clock in the morning. Just really really impressive, Rob. What were your biggest takeaways from that Cal Washington game? I mean, I, I think that, you know, we had talked about this coming into the season that Washington graded out at, at one thirty in returning production and the defense was likely going to take a step back. Um, Cal, an offense that last season, I mean, and I think I said this, they couldn't tie their own shoes last season. Their shortest scoring drive was 69 yards. You know, they put together four scoring drives that were at least 70 yards. Um, and they went the length of the field. And in the second half, um, they were able to run the football and put up some chunk plays uh, against that Washington defense. Uh, that And I, I think that there's, you know, this this Washington team, the offense is grading out a little better. The defense is currently grading out at 42. I mean, I expect them to improve as the season goes on. But, yeah, like I, I think that, you know, there there is going to be some growing pains for this Washington team like we thought. Um, but Cal being able to – Cal being able to run the football on anybody, let alone a rebuilding Washington defense, is a, was a wild shock. I mean, Dancy and um, their starter, Brown, um, Dancy came in as a change of pace back in that second half. and It was just lights out. Like, he had some really big runs. Yeah, that was really impressive. And I do think that front seven of uh, of Washington will be strong. So just the fact that they were able to do that. And it looks like Christopher Brown is a weapon that Cal did not have last year. I mean, they relied on Patrick Laird, and he was kind of injured and then wasn't injured. And they just didn't have that hardcore runner. And, and Brown runs angry. And like you mentioned, too, Rob, Darcy yeah. was able to, to shift around. And he was just a fun player to watch. I was really, really nervous for Cal um, at the first half of that game because Chase Garbers looked like he was afraid of his own shadow. He was he was really <laughs> apprehensive throwing the ball around. I unless I missed a play and I was kind of I was bumping back and forth. I had two screens on. I had the SC game and then um, and then the the Washington Cal game. So in the beginning, I, I was watching both games, but I didn't for the first half see Garbers attempt a pass for more than like five yards. And I'm just going, oh no, you can't do that against Washington. But slowly he was able to open up. And I think once he started to actually show that he was a threat in the air, it opened up that offense a little bit more. So uh, just props to him for being able to put himself back together and lead that that team to a win in a really hostile environment, Max. 
Yeah, and I was also, I mean, Ethan and Washington's offense tore it up week one against Eastern Washington, but the receivers had some bad, bad drops um, for yeah. the Huskies against Cal, and, and, and that definitely killed some offensive momentum there. Um, it definitely was nice to see um, Chris Peterson get helped out by a clutch field goal. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I, I, I've seen a trustworthy Washington kicker, but uh, Peyton Henry looked good. But um, I guess like, but what Rob was saying is that I, Washington has a lot of t- talent on the defensive side of the ball, but a lot of my reasoning for why I picked Cal against the spread and why I said it was my best bet was if there was a time to play Washington's defense it's early in the season, just because they're gelling, I think that there's a better chance that you get um, big plays off of them and Cal moved the ball. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, what Rob was saying with the drives, like I thought they were really impressive in the second half. Uh, Washington, I feel like was doomed um, when they were only up seven points at, at the half, just because Cal's offense really struggled in the first half. And I felt like that should have been more than seven points, but maybe the delay just had something to do with Washington's want, um, like a sluggish performance there. Um, to start, but I know I, I just came away really impressed with Cal and, and they play road games at Oregon and at Utah later this season. And if Cal's a double digit underdog in those games, I'm probably going to be playing Cal in, in those two, just because this defense is so good. It's going to be a low scoring game and it's just really hard to cover as a double digit favorite in such in low scoring games. Oh my goodness. And Evan Weaver, Holy God. I was, be, no, I was about to say like, is, is, he should be, I mean like he, he's a legit Pac-12 player of the year candidate. Like he, 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 he's like, a, he's a, uh, what's the, uh, like he, he's easily like that could be the first defensive player to win that in a while. He looks like a really chubby kid that that's bigger than everybody else. Like at the, at the lunch line who has bees just running after him at all times. Like he, it, it, it he just doesn't look like he should be a linebacker, <laughs> a linebacker back there. Um, and just is cleaning up and he had tackles for a loss at every major play of that game. That was key. It seemed like, he, you know, I'm sure there were, there were ones that uh, obviously there was other really good members of that Cal defense. But at the end of the day, it seemed like he was always there whenever you needed him and, and just had a heck of a game. I know, did, did you get that impression too, Max? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, no, I, I would say that I, I, w- I was really impressed overall. Another, another, re- oh, go ahead, Rob. I was say, and a lot of Washington fans right now, I think, are beating up that wide receiver core um, for how they played. But Cal's got a legit defense. They grade out at number, at number eight in beta rank. Um, right now, and, and they came into the season, of course, really highly graded out. But that that secondary, they returned everyone um, off of that secondary. They're number six against the pass in beta rank right now. Like they're very, very good. So, I think even you know Washington receivers didn't have a great game, didn't create separation, struggled you know catching the ball. You know, you you went up probably against the best secondary you're going to see all year. So these guys are only going to improve. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, more. I, I was going to say more on that. I mean, Cal was second in the country in interceptions last year with 21, and, and those four return, returning starters in the secondary had 20 of them. And yeah. it, they're just, they're, they're incredible ball skills. Weaver in the middle is, is there all the time. Like he had what, what, like 18 tackles or something like that. And then also yeah. Washington's offensive line, they gave up four sacks. And, and Cal is, is more known for their uh, back end compared to their pass rush. So 
And and I thought Washington's offensive line was going to be a strength with all the experience coming back. But I, I think that there are question marks there too. Mm. Well, we'll keep an eye on that as the Huskies move forward in the season. Another really fun game, Nebraska. 31, Colorado 34, Mel Tucker getting it done at home. Flea Flicker in their own end zone. Just a like big balls Tucker, man. Like, and I, one of the things about that play that was so impressive for me was not only the, the audacity to, to call that at a really critical time in, in your own end zone, basically, but the execution of that play was perfect. It wasn't this half-baked, you know, oh, it's like kind of a flea flicker, I guess. We'll, we'll try to something. No, that, that was a really sharply executed play um, that ended up getting them the touchdown and really what Nebraska, or not Nebraska, what Colorado needed to get over the edge. But I just, that second half of that Colorado-Nebraska game, Rob, was so, so fun to watch. It seemed like both teams woke up and realized that they had to score points. And it was just back and forth. And um, man, what a big win for Mel Tucker and, and for that Colorado program. They're 2-0 and now, going into Air Force, which, by the way, has a terrible secondary. We'll talk about that in the next yeah. segments. But, um, man, they're looking really good. They are. And, and you know, the, a lot of the things that we had sort of criticized from that Colorado State game ended up, you know, they ended up going the other direction. You know, Montez really aired it out in this game. They depended on throwing the ball. You know, he, he aired it out 41 times, you know, 40, you know 9.1 per attempt is pretty darn good um yeah i mean they they, they look really good on the on the offensive side of the ball yeah <laughs> you know, i mean i think a lot of people are going to say like and, and a lot of colorado fans even pointed out like nebraska had no business being ranked coming into this game so yeah, i mean it's a but it's still like a, this is a great win for colorado coming off a year in which they fired their coach so um there there were some there were some negatives in the game like adrian martinez absolutely lit up that secondary um he averaged 11.2. I mean, he threw for 290 on only 26 attempts. Like he he really lit them up deep um, in the game. So like, there's there's some stuff to work on. Max, when you saw Colorado start to wake up, um, did you think they could really pull it together and, and win? I mean, they, that crowd obviously was on their side. There's a lot of Nebraska there, by the way, a lot of red in that stadium. Um, but I was about to say it was not a home advantage for Colorado. <laughs> no. Well, the out there, yeah. Yeah, the the altitude was, but the, no, I mean it was it was mostly Nebraska fans. Um, I so if, if you listen to the pod last week, I thought Nebraska was going to blow out Colorado because I just didn't see how um, Colorado's defense would contain Adrian Martinez. And, and Martinez did have a uh, in terms of yards per play, he had he had a really strong game. And then also, I just thought that Colorado's offense, I, I just didn't like the direction under new offensive coordinator Jay Johnson with the run heavy approach, even though they have a, a good personnel for a, a, a nice passing attack, which they definitely showed against Nebraska. And I just feel like since they were down 17, nothing um, in the first half, it was like they, they were kind of forced to throw it more and, and Nebraska had a really shaky secondary. And, and so, and Colorado was able to exploit that. Um, and, and, no, and then, I mean, Montez is good. And, and Chenault's one of the best receivers in the country. I, I thought the flea flicker took stones. That that was an <laughs> incredible play call. Like I don't, I don't think I would have had the guts to do it, but good for Colorado that it worked because it, that swung the game. And no, I, like I, I, very impressive win by the Buffaloes. I, I just I, they showed incredible fight, and I really didn't think they were going to pull it off when they fell behind early. All right, one more game to cover, and we'll get we'll get to all these other games. You know, or no, drop. Really, mm-hmm. Like, did you guys see that pass? Like that that uh, that replay or even catch a replay of that pass to Katie Nixon that Montez threw. That was one. I mean, that was an NFL throw and catch. 
Yeah. Um, just an unbelievable. I mean, he put it right in there, just right over the defender. Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, really. I mean, like we've we've talked about Montez being a little underrated by a lot of uh, Pac-12 fans, but uh, he he really he really showed out. I got to go back and dig up my full Montez uh, picture, that old Crayola grandeurs I used to do. Uh, so I'll definitely uh, tweet that out. Twelve pack radio. I, I hope he's eating frozen. Like I hope that like the secret to his success is like he's gone back to eating like a lot of frozen pizza again. You know, whatever gets you over the hump there. <laughs> um, one more game, and again we'll talk. You know, obviously Oregon dropped seventy-seven points, and you know Arizona and Arizona State played in Oregon State and Hawaii. We'll talk all those games in the next segment as we go through and preview Week Three. We'll in great some of the the games that we saw in week two one game though that i definitely want to bring up is ucla 14 san diego state 23 and the spiral continues it was interesting i was looking at um, some of the feeds from the media members uh, of ucla and it just seemed like that press conference against uh <laughs> the chip kelly post-game press conference was basically like so what do you think about people booing you why haven't you scored any points like what is the deal with your recruiting I mean, it was just arrows and arrows and arrows is being thrown in his direction and max it seems like that's that's pretty you know that that seems like a legitimate thing to do if you're in the media right now and you're covering ucla so the attendance for the san diego state game it was the lowest in 25 years for ucla ouch which i, I thought was was crazy i mean they're just so the fans are so soured on that program and i don't blame them it's a very bland unexciting offense and and Dorian Thompson Robinson, he just he, he makes too many mistakes, and I I know he's still only a sophomore, but I I, I don't I don't know if you I don't know like I, I wouldn't entertain a switch yet, but he really has to improve soon because I just it's just it's too many it, I, they don't they don't have explosive plays and, and he makes too many negative plays and you really can't afford to do that. They got Joshua Kelly back at running back. But the rushing attack wasn't that great. I know San Diego State has has a really nice defense, but you can't you can't lose that game because now zero and three staring you at the face with Oklahoma coming to town. So just a really awful loss from UCLA. Mm. Anything to say, Rob? You, you saw them live about a week and a half ago or whatever. What are you, any impressions from uh, basically a repeat performance against a less good team? I mean, he did not. I mean, Chip Kelly did not get any favors with his non-conference schedule his first two years at UCLA. I mean, that's for sure, right? I mean, last year, um, you know, they had Cincinnati again, um, you know, and then they have Oklahoma on there again this year as well. Uh, you know, pretty tough schedule, and and both San Diego State and, and Cincinnati are very well coached group of five teams. But I mean, and people give. Kevin Sumlin hell for not performing up to expectations, say at Arizona. I mean, Kevin Sumlin would trade rosters with Chip Kelly in a heartbeat, right? Like he would love to have some of the talent that Chip Kelly has had at his disposal. Um, you know, and I just, it amazes me. I mean, like Max, you were talking out the, talking about UCLA's explosive plays. Like they only really came in that Cincinnati game. And that was the only reason they were even in that game. Um, they grade out at 115 in beta rank at explosive drives. Like that's amazing. Like this is Chip Kelly. Like what is? I just I think the magic's all gone. Like I just I don't I don't know that he has a secret sauce anymore. <laughs> and, and and he's and he and he hired a, a he hired a guy that hadn't called defense in like you know 15 years. So it's playing out really poorly. I don't know. <laughs> 
Andre, to be fair, the UCLA's run defense has been impressive the first yes. game. Now, I know, yeah. I mean, Jawan Washington was hurt coming into the game, but he was really ineffective. But yeah, the only way San Diego State could move the ball was through the air. And, and granted, Ryan Agnew, it, it, it's he's not a very good quarterback, but uh, yeah, and Rocky really Long doesn't want to throw. Dar- but, yeah, and I mean, they were without Darnay Holmes for the first second straight game, but that secondary is a mess. And I, I have Lincoln Riley. He's he like him and Jalen Hurts. They're they're salivating looking at this UCLA uh, secondary. Like, and they still don't get a good pass rush. I really, really wanted to take UCLA this week just because I, I, I think it's a good spot. But just looking at the numbers, I, I can't do it. There's no, and especially with Oklahoma's like new, uh, with Alex Grinch as a defensive coordinator, like their new mantra is forcing turnovers, and they forced three last game. And just getting those extra possessions against UCLA's defense, I don't even know if I trust UCLA's offense to move the ball against Oklahoma's defense. It, it's, just, it's it's way too much. I, I can't do it. Oh, and Jalen Hurts, my goodness, the the monster, like the monster games he's been putting up, and the fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson has had what four fumbles already, like in two games. I mean, it's just it, it is a it is a mess there. Uh, but but let's cover that a little bit more. We want to do a new segment here. We're gonna call like best uh, best bet, worst bet, and and hold on, hold on one second. Shame. Yes. Shame. <laughs> we need to, we need to be shamed for some of the bad picks that we've made on this podcast. And I do think as we move forward into the season, like it, it is really fun. Rob's Baderick numbers are even going to get better. But I do think that the breakdown of the teams that we provide has been really, really good. With that said, like the ball bounces certain ways, or maybe we thought like a line was was too high or too low and it ended up not being the case. So what we're going to do is take a few moments to take a look at some of the, the best picks and worst picks that we made in the previous week. And Max, let, let's start with you, man. Where are we? Where were you really happy? And where did you think you uh, probably should have taken a second thought? All right. So uh, happiest with Cal. I mean, there's no, I don't think that Cal should be uh, a 14 point underdog against anyone in the pac 12 and, and Washington, let alone against Washington who had to replace a ton of starters. That was a really, really easy cover. Um, and then even though the line for us for Oregon state, Hawaii was three, I got it at seven. And I, I just, I couldn't believe the overreaction there just because Hawaii was an 11 point on home underdog against Arizona two weeks ago. And now they're a seven point favorite. There's no way that Oregon state is 18 points worse than Arizona. And so I thought that that line um, was like I said, overreaction and Oregon state uh, covered only losing by three 31 28. And I'm happy I stayed away from that over too. Cause I know there were a lot of people that saw those two defenses. Um, but I, I just, for some, I had a weird feeling um, backing Oregon State, uh, a heavy run offense, um, trying to clear a total over 80. And then also just because I thought Hawaii's offense, granted, it, it, it's an explosive pass offense, but I still think it's a, a way, it's like a couple steps down from Oklahoma State, who I think has a top, who could have a top 10 offense overall. Uh, worst call, it's probably two. Um, I'll go. I, I feel like the USC Stanford over or under, I should say, was a worse call than Nebraska because uh, I, I, I still feel like I should have won Nebraska, even though Colorado had the nice comeback. But USC Stanford had absolutely no shot. Um, I just I really thought that there would be a big downgrade from Daniels or I shouldn't say a big downgrade, but a downgrade from uh, Daniel Slovis. And it was his first career start. Stanford, I, their defense not as good, but I, I just I saw how they terrorized um, Northwestern's quarterbacks, TJ Green and, and Hunter Johnson, the week before, 
and Slovis didn't uh, fare so hot against Fresno State. And then also I, Davis Mills, the Stanford backup quarterback, I didn't think he'd be able to take advantage of the USC secondary. And Slovis, obviously, he, 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 I'm pretty sure he got the over by himself. And then <laughs> USC's defense, one of the worst third down defense. I, well, I shouldn't say one of the worst, but it's still a, like a on third down. It's just uh, Clancy Pendergast just has some baffling play calls on third down. And then there's also some undiscipline in there. And so I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to be staying away from US, USC unders for a while after <laughs> that one. Rob, you have any, uh, you want to, you want to tout anything that you picked or take back anything that you wish you, you hadn't? I, mean, I picked Colorado, which I, I feel good about, uh, you know, I mean, in retrospect, I, I didn't actually expect, I, I think at the end I talked myself into them winning. Um, but it was, uh, it was it was it was something that I, I, I expected them to, I expected the game to be close, but not necessarily. Um, I didn't expect them to like fully fully come back and win. Um, the dumb ones, I mean, I took UCLA, and that was that was dumb because um, I, I saw them in person. <laughs> I just I guess I didn't expect San Diego State to. I, I thought San Diego State had a bunch of their own questions, and it turns out that none of that matters when you play UCLA. Um, and then uh, Nevada and Oregon. I mean, uh, Oregon just ob- obliterated that line, um, and I, I thought I did not see that coming. I, I, I talked myself into uh, that defense not str- like that. They, they were that Nevada defense re- replaced a lot off of last year's defense, and I thought that after that Purdue performance, that they were they were gonna like sort of like be able to reload. And man, Oregon, Oregon shut that down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they just destroyed. I mean, it was <laughs> 77 points. My goodness. Rob, I thought you were going to tout uh, Northern Illinois as well, because you, the model was off. The line was off 10 points from the model. And, and even though it was an 18 point game, I thought the game was much closer than what the score uh, represented. No, I did feel I, mean, I, did, I did feel pretty good about that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was one of them. I mean, the, the model got torched on some like really high spread. Now, I mean, like, um, unfortunately, uh, like like the Michigan State type ones, where Michigan State had like a twenty point spread, and then Michigan State won by like thirty or something like that. It was that that happened far too often this week. <laughs> um, I've given up a couple layups, which has been crazy. Like I know I, I should always know when Mac, Max, you and Rob say ah. That's probably not a great idea. And then the fans of the team that I have picked to cover the spread goes, yeah, Brian, that's not a great idea. Uh, and that was Utah. <laughs> I just thought that Utah would be able to sit on and and I use chest, but we totally didn't cover the fact that Ross Bowers was the quarterback for NIU. And like, if I would have known that, I would have totally taken them. I like him. I thought he was pretty good. But, um, uh, but at the end of the day, um, Utah is Utah. Utah is going to score just as enough amount of points that they need to win. And then they're just going to mellow out and, uh, so duly noted in the in the future. So I went two and three against the spread. Uh, Max, both you and Rob went three and two against the spread. And we will reset in just a few minutes. But first, the one other thing that we did is uh, so, again, we are the home of the original um, Pac-12 Eliminator Pool Contest. And we had about 50 entries. And each year. 
we go through and I name all of the people that lost uh, from the that got eliminated from the eliminator pool. And UCLA, man, torched a number of people. Uh, way too many, by the way. I, how do you listen to this podcast to pick UCLA? I have no idea, but but God bless you. So um, in memory of those that are departed, here are the following folks that have been eliminated. Jack's complete lack of surprise. Doug734. Luis Garcia. Clairvoyant68. Mike Winning Bigley. Travis Gordon. Bear Down Steve, who I warned in my email not to take UCLA. Gimme Mo Keach. Tom Stack. Scobuffs. Brian Robles. And Ryan Bates. Sleep well, sweet princes. All right, let's get into our Pac-12 preview of the week three games right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, all right. Here we go. Week three. We're really getting into some fun games. I thought the lines that were set for some of these games have been totally crazy town. So really, really excited to start uh, delving into them. And... Let's guys start with um, let's start with Arizona State, Michigan State, because we've been talking about this game for three weeks. Um, One o'clock p.m. Arizona State goes all the way up to East Lansing to take on one of the nastiest front seven uh, defensive defensive lines and linebacking cores in the entire country. And Rob, you have just been chomping at the bit to talk about this one. So the, the world is your oyster. (laughs) <laughs> I watched some of that Arizona State Sacramento State game because it was Friday night and I was trying to do some coding um, and it was it was on and it was Pac-12 and oh my gosh Arizona State's offensive line is extremely bad at football. Um, Sacramento State looked like an excellent Power Five defense. They got they got through. They took down. I mean they shut. They really shut down Arizona State's running game. Um, Daniels faced pressure um, from their blitz packages. I mean, Sacramento State just made them look silly um, in that game. And Michigan State, they do replace some of uh, they do replace some of the back end on that defense, but they bring back. I mean, if not, I mean, outside of Utah, I would say probably the best defensive line or Auburn, the best defensive line in, in college football. Um, I just this and Michigan State's rolling in the model right now too like they're up to number 13 in the model um this week arizona state sitting at 47 um yeah this this game just looks ugly i mean and michigan state they they had a terrible they had a great defense last season they had a terrible offense and they they look a little bit like cal this season where their their offense is kind of rebounded to where you they're at least like a bad power five offense 
Um, if you combine that with, you know, a very good defense with the defensive line that can get into your backfield, that's trouble. And this game could be a lot of trouble, despite that. I mean, at times in that uh, game against Sacramento State, like Arizona State's skill position talent really was able to show out. Um, but the other part, I mean, Arizona State's defense didn't always look great against I mean, they were able to slow him down eventually, but Sacramento State put up more yards than I was expecting. Um, and also, Troy Taylor looked like a far different person without Kyle Whittingham as his boss. <laughs> yeah, the final <laughs> score of that game, ASU 19, Sacramento State 7. The one the one saving grace for ASU was the fact that they did have a t- – this game should have been a little higher in terms of their point total. There was a fumble on, like, the one-yard line, but still, like, they slogged to get those points. And uh, just Jaden Daniels against this defensive scheme. Um, we, we'll definitely dive into some of these players to keep a lookout for. But Max, the line right now is ten and a half, and it seemed like it opened at seven. I'm going to have to take a look to see where it actually opened at seven because I saw that and went, "Oh my gosh, where can I get that immediately?" Like I, I will, I will sell my car right now to get money on that game. Uh, but ten and a half, it, bo- it bumped up a little bit. Still, like it just seems actually, it's up, it's up to twelve. Oh my gosh. Um, is that, is that too many points? What do you think about what do you think about this matchup? So, I mean, like Rob was saying, Michigan State does have one of the best defensive lines in the country. They have Evan Weaver, Midwest, and Joe Bacci at, at inside linebacker. Like they're they're deep. Their front seven is incredible. And Arizona State's offensive line, uh, like you were saying, in Sacramento State. I mean, it, it's been it's been rough this season. I mean, in week one, they were the only team to start a true freshman at center because they had to replace. Uh, Cade Cote or Cote, however you pronounce his last name, because he, he suffered a broken foot. So they, they have a true freshman at center and they have a true freshman at quarterback. And, and actually, um, the true freshman center, Donovan West, he, he had a bad, he had a couple bad snaps, including one in the red zone that, uh, on third and goal from the five that, that forced Arizona to kick a, uh, Arizona State to kick a field goal. Um, I think I'm actually really interested in the under in this game just because. Um, Arizona State might have the best weapon in the country and punter Michael Turk. He yeah. has been sensational this year. Um, and I, he averaged 63 yards on his punts in week one. Uh, last, the last game against Sacramento State, uh, he, four of his five punts were inside the 20, and his fifth was a 58-yarder from his own 24. So this guy is a field-flipping, field-position machine. And I, I, Arizona State's defense... Um, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be improved from last year, just because they were really young last year, and they haven't given up. I mean, granted, uh, the competition hasn't been great, but they really haven't given up that many big plays. So I'm really interested to see how they fare against Michigan State. But I'm I'm not sure I really trust Michigan State's rushing attack. Um, they actually had one player who exploded against Western Michigan, but against Tulsa. I think they averaged like 2.5 rushing yards per carry as a team. So I'm not really sure how much I trust that. And Brian Lewerke, like he, he faded down the stretch just because he wasn't healthy. But I just, I, I just see a, a low scoring game in this one. So I think Michigan State is a much better team. If it gets up to 14, I feel like I, I'm going to have to take Arizona State because I, I just, it's kind of like Cal, not exactly like Cal Washington to me, but kind of a similar logic in that. I, I see like a 21 10 type of game and, and I, I can't lay 14 points. If I think it's going to be that low scoring. I could totally see that. You know, you have, I I'm still a believer to some extent in ASU's defense being not terrible this year. 
And when you combine that with the fact that Michigan State, like you mentioned, Rob, uh, maybe their offense is better, but it's not great. They do have a new offensive no, coordinator. Not. You know, Brian Lewerke comes back um, and he'll be able to move the ball a decent amount. But I like that idea on the under. So we'll, we'll definitely flag that. One of the couple players just to look out for, though, because, oh, my gosh, Jaden Daniels will be running for his life. Like he will need to be very fast and he will need to eat his Wheaties because he is 175 pounds on that field running uh, away from you know players like Raekwon Williams who is a defensive tackle who had 10 and a half tackles for a loss, five pass breakups, 53 tackles. That, that is a big, big man that should not be having those numbers. Another guy named, I think his name is Kenny Wilkes or Wilkes, um, 78 tackles. He had a defensive end, 20 and a half tackles for a loss, 12 quarterback carries, uh, hurries last year. I mean, these guys are going to be all up in his grill and uh, I, I just uh, light a candle for him. Um, I, we've been talking about, this game for the last three weeks, I know that the line has popped to 12. I'm still going to take Michigan State. I just don't see a scenario where um, ASU is going to be able to score uh, a ton of points, and I think that they'll be able to score enough to pull away from Michigan State. Uh, who did I hear you take, Max? Like, uh, I, I'm waiting. I think that this game actually gets to 14, and if it gets to 14, I would take Arizona State. For now, hmm. I don't know. It, it's it's a tough one. I'd probably have to do some more research, but obviously there's the revenge angle and that uh, Arizona State upset Michigan State last year. Um, one other one other note that I thought was interesting when uh, doing some quick research on this game: Arizona State actually leads the country in forced fumbles, but they've only they, they've forced ten fumbles on the season, but they've only recovered three of them, and that thirty percent fumble recovery rate is tied. For 97, so maybe they'll have some fumble luck and more fumble luck in this game. Um, uh, I, I just think I, I, mm, I'll, I'll, I'll begrudgingly go Arizona State here. I don't really like it though. It's tough because uh, so it's funny because like on this podcast, I think I'm nine and six against the spread in real life. I'm eight and two because like you mentioned, Max, the the numbers are going to pop one way or the other. So a good example being last week. Hawaii opened minus three that moved up to minus seven. And like that seven number is really important. <laughs> like taking uh, Oregon state as a seven point dog sounded quite delicious. So um, th- things do move. So uh, we'll definitely flag that. And I've been trying to tweet this stuff out on 12 pack radio, which is where you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Rob, where, who are you going to take? So Bannerang scouted right now that uh, Michigan state has a 77% win probability in this game. And they're a, about a seven, seven point two two favorite uh in the game seven points so i i'm gonna take arizona state as long max has a good point on the punt like i don't on the punter i don't i don't trust this this michigan state offense i mean last year they were in the 120s they are in the 80s right now um they're at 82 that i don't trust them to be able to drive you know and to be able to convert on a long field um that said you know if if daniels turns the ball over then you know, Michigan state could win by 21. So that if, if, as long as the turnovers stay about the same, like I, I expect this to, you know, to be about, you know, under 10 points for a Michigan state win. Okay. So you're, t- you're going with, you're going with Arizona state. Yeah. I mean, Michigan state should win the game, but I think Arizona state keeps it pl- like, it's just the, both of these teams like to limit the number of drives. Um, that's going to keep scores down and keep the distance between the teams low. Yeah. You guys are making too much sense. I might have to revise. I may have to go back and revisit this one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's give our friends in the I pool. Believe, I also believe Permit. Uh, I also believe Permit Edwards once said, "You play to cover the game." <laughs> 
So, uh, very gotta, much like, got to go with the fight. In the <laughs> we are, we are after after that Sacramento game. We are moderately firm for Herm on this podcast. Not fully firm that right now. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to wait until this next game. Um, let's give our friends in the Palouse some love here. We've been talking about USC and some other teams. Let's talk about Washington State, a seven point favorite on the road at Houston. Uh, Washington State beat the tar out of Northern Colorado, 59 to 17. Um, that offense continues to hum. Max Borgi is very good. Uh, their new quarterback, Gordon, they got there very good, at least for now, but not against great competition. They've had two warm up games. Now they have a real team in Houston. Rob, I'm really curious in the numbers because I wanted to take Houston going into this portion of the podcast. And then I did my own research on, on Houston's defense. And it seems like their secondary sucks, like sucks. And I just can't uh, I'm really worried about whether or not Washington State is going to just run up that score in the passing game if they're not able to catch up with those wide receivers, because right now Gordon looks quite accurate. So what do the numbers say? So right now, Washington State is a hold on a second. Sorry, I just had it there. They have a 68 percent chance to win the game. Um, They are roughly 4.94. So a five point favorite. Uh, So not quite seven points. Uh, I still like Washington state's defense. And I I'll say it again this year, like they're not very good. (laughs) So um, they usually, they they look better than they are because they usually have a long field because the offense is so good. Um, And the offense is clicking again this year. They grade out at number 12. The defense is at number 82. Uh, I'm looking for Houston's defense right now. It's not very good as I get down here. So they grade out at number 95. Um, you're right, Bryant. They're not very good against the pass, but they're actually uh, a little better against the pass than they are against the run. So they're number 74 against the pass um, and number 106 against the run currently. They are, however, a decent um, offensive team right now. And some of this is the course that they had to play Oklahoma. Um, but the model accounting for that, they've got them at 44 on offense. You th- you know, this game, I I. I, I like Houston to, to cover in this game. Like I like Washington state to win still. Um, but Houston, th- this feels like a game that they're able to get up for, you know, as we saw, and as you and I saw in person last season, like if they've got a lot of talent, if they get amped up and, and, and are able to call a decent game and Dana Holgerson's a, a, a really bright offensive mind in his own right. You know, he's, he's had a little bit to, to break these guys in, you know, and that Oklahoma game was tough. He's going against Alex Grinch. So I don't know. I, I, I like, I, I'm going to go with the model on this one. I think, um, I think these teams are a little closer than, you know, Washington state's offense makes it appear. Okay. And Max Deere King obviously is just, uh, can be a real threat to Washington State's defense. I tend to be a little bit more optimistic on Washington State's defense than Rob is, but I have been told by both Rob and Hithliday, please stop doing that. So, um, it is likely the case that they are not good. Uh, but what do you think about, uh, about the, the Pirates' chances going into Houston? By the way, this game isn't going to be like in the middle of butt hot in Houston. It'll be played at about 6.15 Pacific time. So like, four o'clock ish or five o'clock ish. Um, I forget what time zone Texas is in, but it's not in the middle of the afternoon where it's sweltering. So uh, what do you think about their chances? Well, I mean, Rob brought up Dana Holgerson. I mean, Holgerson was on Mike Leach's Texas tech staff. I mean, he, he worked under uh, Hal Mum. Uh, and so like these two coaches, they, they know their offense, each other's offensive systems inside and out. So I, yeah, Houston's secondary isn't great. But I feel like both of these defenses will actually be well prepped for what's to come, and so I'm I'm with Rob. I, I think I think I, I like the plus seven here. 
Um, and then also just looking last week um, against Northern Colorado, Northern Colorado, they really shot themselves in the foot against Washington State's defense. I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. They had 10 false starts against oh Washington State. <laughs> and so if you're with all those times that they keep on getting, you know, five yard infractions, it's obviously going to, it's going to make it much tougher to get first downs and to move the ball. And he, I mean, Houston obviously won't be get, betting, getting like th- that high amount of false starts. So, I mean, Jared King is good. Uh, they have a potent rushing attack. I'm not really sure how much I trust the aerial attack. I mean, King is good, but I still think that they're a stronger rushing team than they are a passing team. Uh, and then Washington State's defense, they don't really get a lot of penetration. And so I, I just, I'm not, I don't think that I'll, we'll see a lot of like tackles for loss for, uh, by the front seven in this game. So I think Houston will be able to move the ball, no problem. So I'll go, I'll go with seven here as well for Houston. Oh, seven on the road. I'm going to take Washington State because I would, I'm going to try to stick with my guns. I, I, I know I, it's my weakness is taking Washington State. Um, but l- let's see what the Pirate can do out there. Northern in- Colorado ran for 216 on them last week. Northern Colorado. Oh. The Bears from Greeley. All right. No, no, no. You do it. You, it's too late. You're stuck. I'm, I'm just, I'm just. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna pay I'm gonna pay the piper this this coming week. I'll take Washington State. Let's see how they perform on the road. But I I'm that's gonna be one of the games that I'm gonna be fully focused on. So it'll be fun to break that down as we move into next week and do our next podcast. Let's move on to a really interesting game. So USC a four point favorite on the road at BYU. Uh, BYU by the way beat Tennessee on the road. They beat them twenty nine twenty six. And uh but this this matchup like it's really hard to to not see usc with like star glasses on right now because my goodness that offense was humming with uh with that new quarterback but rob i'm just curious how did the numbers take in the offensive efficiency that we saw against stanford like did did sc get a big boost and what do the numbers say about this matchup yeah, so the I mean, so the way the model works is it tries to find the best fit, um, so that fits all the data. And the best fit actually was that USC did they get they got a bit of a bump on on offense. So their offense right now grades out at number twenty one, um, and they're 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 mostly good at things that they were sort of bad at last year. I mean, they were still they're still reliant on explosive plays a bit more. Um, but something that they're they really improved on from last year is negative drives. So they're at number forty one there right now. Um, and that means that they're doing far less three and outs. They're not turning the ball over. Um, you know, those are positive things. But they're number nine in in, in passing the football after that Stanford game. Um, so they they've really and I I I think that this BYU defense they're gonna they could struggle. I mean, like this is I mean Tennessee's not a well coached football team. Let's let's get that out of the way. Like Tennessee lost to Georgia. Let's, Tennessee lost to Georgia State at home the week before. So <laughs> like losing to BYU, uh, while bad, is not even Tennessee's worst loss this season so far. So I I I think that. But the flip side of it though is that this USC defense is is they're okay. They're not great. They've got they they're really going to probably have to show out a little bit more in this game than they have uh, in other games. Cause the model mostly has decided thus far, if you look at sort of like how it's grading out BYU has decided that in fact, Tennessee is not a good football team. Uh, and it has also decided that 
Stanford, like the model has dropped the hammer on Stanford uh, for their play so far. Um, and they're all the way grading out at number 70 in the model so far this season. So um, USC did not get a ton of a boost out of that Stanford game. The model basically decided like, oh, it just turns out Stanford's not good at football anymore, which we'll see. Like it's early. So the model, like there are big adjustments still to come. But um, the model likes USC more than that this this week, though. Uh, and I do too uh i like usc's talent against this byu team they've got an 81 percent win probability they favor they're favored by a little over eight and a half 8.61 i i like usc in this game be beware of the road favorites beware of the road favorites but um i tend to like usc too in this matchup but i want to hear what you have to say first max so when looking at that usc schedule before the season, this was the game that all USC fans circled because this was the biggest trap game spot. Because yeah. It was coming off the, the rivalry game against Stanford, and it's the week before USC's biggest game of the season, hosting Utah. And so if BYU would have lost to Tennessee, I, I feel like you would have had to take 0-2 BYU. Like that, that would have been the, one of the biggest automatic plays of all time. Um, I still have to trust the spot here. I, I it's just, I mean, the the public is so high on USC after what they saw. I, I think BYU's slightly underrated, even though they are coming off that win against Tennessee. But they, no one really gave them a shot against Utah. And they did hang around for the first half until turnovers ultimately cost them that game. Um, Zach Wilson definitely has the capability to take advantage of a USC secondary that can give up big plays. Uh, USC's defensive line is is the strength of this defense. Uh, but I think BYU's offensive line is, is better than Stanford's. And then BYU was was the best team in college football last year at limiting explosive plays. But the difference, I guess, between USC's offense this year and last when it, when it, it comes uh, to explosive plays is that with Daniels, like it was just like a lot of like deep shots like down the field versus with Slovis. Um, it, Slovis has thrown a couple deep balls. But it's also like the intermediate pass game where, where we didn't really see that a lot with Daniels. Slovis has really thrived with some really strong throws. And USC's receivers definitely have um, the capability to, you know, get, gain a lot of yards after the catch, too. So I want to pick USC, especially after how they performed against Stanford. But this, the fact that it's only four, this is an, an, an incredible trap spot. Um, I, I have to go BYU and oh. I, I have to listen to like all the lessons that like I, I've wrapped up as a gambler over the years. If this was five and a half or seven or seven and a half, yeah. Um, yeah. I would, I would be with you, Max, but four. Whew, I mean, I think, I think SC could have not a great game here. Like you have Slovis having some, you know, it gets the jitters and isn't quite playing. And I just think, I just think that SC can do enough to be able to, um, to to win even if they're not playing terribly. So I'll take USC begrudgingly. I'm not betting on this game at all. Um, I will just watch it for pure entertainment standpoint because uh, that is a tough place to play at BYU. And I'm really interested to see how Slovis is able to react to a hostile crowd after probably one of the best games. Like, I mean can he do this over and over again? I doubt it. <laughs> but again, if he does 75% of that, I just think SC will be able to, to take care of business at BYU. But, um, and, and I do think this is a trap game. You're absolutely right on that. I just think after like you have this new quarterback, there's a jolt of energy. 
I think that changes the dynamic just a little bit, but I could be totally wrong next week. But uh, give me USC. Let's give our friends at Utah a little bit of love here. They're playing Idaho State. Who cares? But Utah did play pretty well against NIU. Um, Again, we forgot the fact that Ross Bowers was the quarterback there, and he looked pretty good uh, in the first half. And I was like, ooh, ooh, he could cause some problems here. Uh, But at the end of the day, Utah's defense really pulled away. They held NIU to 67 yards rushing and allowed zero sacks. And Huntley again, 14 for 19, but Rob, 11.3 yards per pass and one touchdown. So it wasn't all checkdowns this time. No, and I mean, I think it's... um just to kind of flip it for like BYU, I think that people are giving BYU a little bit too much credit for that, that Utah game because Utah really didn't open up the playbook um, much against BYU. And Andy Ludwig is uh, the, the Utah is living up to what we expected on offense. They're great at number 34. Currently they are This is a vintage Andy Ludwig offense. They're 124 in drive efficiency and 26 on explosive plays. <laughs> so, <laughs> explosive so drive. Good. So like, this Utah team, like they're 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 there to put up big chunk plays or or nothing else. But the, you know they they didn't open it up uh, against against BYU because I guess they, I mean really they didn't feel like they had to. Um, and I think that this uh, I, I I think that they did have a, a very good game and Huntley had a very good game against uh, Northern Illinois, who's got a solid schemed out defense. They lost some you know they lost something off of it, but. Um, it's still it was still a well coached defense that they they had to face and um, I think for Utah like this is this is all for the good like they they get another you know they get a glorified scrimmage you know before they get USC um, you know they really get to to try to get confidence in, in what they're doing with Andy Ludwig's system before uh, what's going to be probably their biggest game of the season. All right, uh, Max, no line on this game, but any any comments on Utah's performance against NIU? Well, uh, I mean, I so NIU did move the ball, but Utah had injuries. Lucky Fotu, um, yeah. they, uh, their 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 safety. Um, I'm totally J- Justin but Jalen Blackman. Like he he was hurt for a bit. He actually had a really strong game though. Um, but no, I I was just surprised that the same Ross Bowers that we saw at Cal was was able to do it. But maybe that's more of an indictment on uh, Cal's offensive coaching staff there. Um, I just thought it was amazing that Bowers had the same airborne touchdown that we, I, I forgot who he did it with when he was against Cal, but he <laughs> yeah. did it again against Utah in, in that game. Um, but I mean, I, I'm still a huge Zach Moss fan. Uh, I, I still think Utah's offensive line could use some work, but they, they, they have an incredible defense. They have the pieces on offense. I'm, I'm, I'm just really, really excited for Utah at USC next week. Like that, that is for all the marbles in the South. Okay, let's go back to Seattle here. Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Hawaii is a 22-and-a-half favorite over Washington um, on the road at Seattle. And uh, 22-and-a-half, a a lot of points for an offense that can move. And a little bit of questions here on Washington's defense, although they did really clamp down on that passing game. That said, you know, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like they were just throwing the ball and slinging the ball around in that game in terms of uh, the play calling from Justin Wilcox. And uh, oh, my gosh, I've wiped a Bo Baldwin. I almost wiped his name out of my memory here, <laughs> but he's still there. Um, Rob, what do the numbers say about this? Because 20, I, I wanted to take Washington as, and just like coming back and just stomping and just make it kind of like what we saw with Oregon. But it's, it's not like uh, Hawaii can't get get points here. 
Here's the trouble with what we think about Hawaii's offense. So do you want to know where Arizona's defense currently grades out? Brian, you might know because you follow on Twitter. It's they're currently 116. Do you know where Oregon state's defense grades out in bid rank? They're at 130 out of 130. So Hawaii has gotten a lot of easy points against some of the very worst defenses in college, who are both Pac-12 defenses. <laughs> so, um, but two of the very worst defenses in college football. Um, Washington, even though Cal, you know, put together some long drives and I, I think did better than expected maybe in that game, um, you know, this is Washington's got a far, far better defense than, um, you know, Oregon state and Arizona. Uh, and their offense is, is, is also pretty good. You know, they're, and I, the, the model has, I mean, it's a 99% win probability. I, I don't give anyone a hundred percent, but it is uh they've got Washington as a 26.33 favorite. Like I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking the Huskies here. I think they come out pissed. Um, I think they show, uh, I think they show that they, especially on defense after giving up those long drives, um, to Cal, cause it turned out that Cal didn't even put up drift points off turnovers. It was, it was long drives. I, so I think that unit comes out with something to prove, um, particularly against, uh, you know, I think their coaches are going to drill into them that Hawaii is two and zero against the PAC 12 currently. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. You've, you've convinced me. And I think Eason's going to light up that secondary for, yeah. uh, for Washington. I mean, like he did against Eastern Washington, obviously you have lesser talent, but it's not like the secondary of that Hawaii team is, is probably all that much better than what we see at Eastern Washington. Um, I'm curious, Max, are you going to take uh, the heavy favorite here? What do you think? As much as I'm afraid of a Cole McDonald backdoor cover late in the game. No, I'm with you guys. Like, I mean, like, like, like Rob brought up the point that I, that I was going to, but except far more eloquently, cause he has the, the metrics to back it up. Like Oregon state and Arizona, Hawaii could not have asked for two better defenses to face on the Island. Um, I mean, it's their first road game of the year. It's in Seattle. It's with an angry Huskies team that just lost their PAC 12 debut. I mean, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be hearing that, Oh, Hawaii's two and O against the PAC 12 and Washington's zero and one. Like you're going to see a very angry Washington team. Uh, Hawaii can't really like, like every facet about their defense is bad. Like they're not going to pressure Eason. Um, they can't stop the run, even though Washington's rushing offense, I, I feel has been a slight disappointment this year. Like I know Newton had a really strong first game, but I, I was expecting a lot more from, uh, Savan Ahmed to start, but Washington's receivers, even though they, they had a bad case of the dropsies against Cal, like they, they still have so many more playmakers than they did last season, just with Chico McClatcher healthy and, and Hunter Bryant healthy. Um, I, I just, I, I think Washington rolls. It's like, like what I was thinking with like Oregon, Nevada, it's like, you're getting an angry pac 12 team against, uh, a, um, a team coming in that maybe was lucky to win its last game. Like I actually thought Oregon state could have very well won that. Yeah. And I, I just don't think Hawaii is as good as their two and record says, just because they got to host two pac 12 teams with the worst defenses in the conference on the Island. Okay. All right. Let's move over to the opposite side of the country. We're moving to Florida where Stanford is a seven and a half point dog on the road at central Florida. Stanford, obviously coming off of the loss to USC, which we've talked about. Um, 
I'm curious, Rob, what your numbers for this game is because yet Scott for us is Central Florida. They won two national championships, of course. Can't cannot not say that. Um, but then you had Mackenzie Milton get injured, and the quarterback it's kind of up in the air. You have Brandon Wimbush. You have a couple other players that were in the mix at the beginning of the year. Um, so this is less certain of a team as I had anticipated going into this game. But um, but man, I just do not trust Stanford, and I don't know if a bounce back game is in the cards against the team all the way across the country on the road so ucf uh has been climbing the model they're all the way up to 33 um project the projection model which everybody is still carrying around a little bit of weight from or most a lot of weight from uh this week tends to underrate a lot of group of five teams because their recruiting isn't uh nearly as good as the power five teams but they're number 33 in the model stanford's at 70 you know <laughs> the, the model does not think northwestern has, has played particularly well uh they think USC is okay. It's got them at 37, but it's got UCF um, as an 8.6 uh, one favorite and a point favorite. And I, 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 I like the Knights here in this game. I, I think Stanford's reeling a bit, um, and UCF is going to they're going to move the ball. I mean, they 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 have a fun you know well coached offense, and Winbush is a good quarterback. How's that defense though? Like, uh, I'm curious what their run defense and their pass defense is. Uh, they actually, oh, well, I was going to say, so I, I made the unfortunate mistake of not only betting on FAU, uh, this Ooh. past Saturday, I doubled down and bet on them live and UCF just absolutely ran train on them. And the, <laughs> the thing I was actually most impressed with or surprising, like most impressed with is that their defense, like shut down FAU, like they, they just. FAU had a lot of trouble um, trying to, you know, generate big drives. And, and I just thought this was FAU's biggest home game of the season. Lane, Lane Kiffin, obviously, um, I, I thought he would have dialed up some good plays. Um, and then I thought that this was a potential look ahead spot for UCF because, I mean, Stanford, this, this is their, their, this is like they get a legitimate like power five team that they're hosting at their own stadium. They hosted Pitt last year, but I just feel like Stanford with their reputation and being one of the uh, better programs in all of college football this past decade, like this is a huge deal for them. So I thought that FAU had a nice spot, but UCF just destroyed them and their, their rushing attack is really strong. Uh, their quarterback situation is interesting because Wimbush started week one, but he wasn't that great against Florida and A&M. So they actually went with a freshman last week, uh, Dylan Gabriel, and he completed, this is actually one of the more bizarre stat lines I've, I've seen. He completed seven of 19 throws, but the seven completions went for 245 yards. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's really nuts. So the models got their offense at number 20, um, and they do rely more on the run. So they grade out at number 15, um, an effective rush, and 44, an effective pass. The defense, Brian, um, and you know my model does not overrate Power 5 teams, uh, has them at number 38 okay. on defense. Um, so this is this is going to be like we we said it was going to be a tough matchup from the beginning for Stanford, um, and I certainly thought Stanford was going to be a better football team than what we've seen. How are they against the pass though? Do you have those split out by chance? Yeah, so they grade, but it's about even. They're number forty-two against the run, number thirty-eight against the pass. Okay, 
Yeah, and I guess I guess the line we were having trouble finding the line, but that's probably because we're not sure if KJ Costello. I was trying to figure out if Mackenzie Milton was coming back, and obviously it's because we're not certain if Costello is going to come back. I would assume he plays in this game, but I don't know if it's going to make a difference. All right, I'll, I'll take Central Florida. Um, I'm not a big fan of Stanford. I haven't been a big fan of Stanford, and I'll stick with that until I am proven otherwise. So, Max, are you going to take? Uh, going to take the? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say take Stanford? I'm going to take. Um, Central Florida, um, because I do not trust Stanford. Max, are you jumping on uh, Central Florida here? Or are you gonna are you gonna roll with the the dog? I'm gonna have to do some more research on this game. I think, even though I, I did watch the UCF game pretty much the entire game last week, and I, and I did come away impressed. But UCF, I, I mean, I kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Like, yes, they had an impressive defensive performance against FAU, but I mean, their first game was against Florida A and M, and as inconsistent as Stanford's offense looked. I mean, they've only had one half of KJ Costello and, and Shaw said after the USC game that he expects Costello to play. And then regarding UCF defense, I mean, they lost uh, a star cornerback for the season. Uh, they have like, uh, they have really strong running backs, but I, I think Stanford's run defense has been much better than their past defense this year, which is kind of, like, well, at least it was against USC, which is ironic because they have Paul in the Debo. But they they did a nice job against USC's rushing attack. And the USC has some talent with, with those running backs. And then, um, I, I mean, the spot for Stanford is brutal. Like, you're, you're flying across the country. You're coming off an embarrassing loss to your rival. Your next game is at, it's at Oregon. Like, this, and, and it's a UCF sandwich. But, oh, seven and a half is a lot. But it is, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't know. Like, I, I'd have to see if Costello plays because I, I really, Mills, Mills was highly touted coming out of high school, but I, I just, when I watched him play, I thought he was a clear downgrade from Costello. Like, he didn't stretch the field nearly as much as, as KJ did. Hmm. I'll, 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 I'll side with the model. I'll, I'll go with UCF, but I, I might change my pick midweek. Okay, that's fair. And again, the line's going to bounce up and down and all that stuff, too. Um, we have a couple really interesting games that we saved for the, the last segment. Let's get to them right after this. All right, all right. We are back Saturday, 5 o'clock p.m. on Fox. UCLA, a 21 and a half point home dog at the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. And my goodness, Oklahoma looks quite quite good with a with a revamped defense as well with Alex Grinch taking over and relieving uh the Stoops era of its final <laughs> final moment in Norman and UCLA is not looking great we've already talked about them and uh, Lincoln Riley man has Jalen Hurst just on fire here's a stat line against Houston 20 for 23 332 yards three touchdowns plus 176 yards on the ground and three additional touchdowns but so like my goodness I know UCLA has a good rush defense but it seems like Lincoln Riley has a lot of tricks up his sleeve and a really good quarterback Rob what do the numbers say here it's I bet you it's kind of weird because like you mentioned the model with high spreads right now you know it's still kind of sifting through the data but I'm just still curious no and it is UCLA has been doing nothing but fall since the season opened um, so they're at number 73 right now, and they're still carrying around a lot of that projection, which had them at 50. Uh, and that was mostly based on recruiting. And Oklahoma's at 11. You know, it's got Oklahoma as only a 17-point favorite in this game. But, no, I, I, I think Oklahoma just boat races them. The only thing UCLA is good at right now is stopping runs up the middle. 
And I, I think Oklahoma is smart enough to not do that until they have softened up the defense basically everywhere else. Yeah, my goodness. Like, this could be real, real bad. Uh, the over-under on the number of fans that are at this game, I'll go, I bet you it's higher because people are just curious to see Oklahoma. Uh, but, oh, my goodness, the rains of booze could be coming down. Um, I'm going to take Oklahoma. I think they just wax this UCLA team. I don't think UCLA can score. I'm not a big fan of Oklahoma's defense yet, but I do trust Alex Grinch over time. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give up the points and take Oklahoma. What do you think, Max? Oh, I, I, I really wanted to take UCLA because it, it just, everyone is going to bet Oklahoma this game. Like there, there's absolutely no reason to bet <laughs> UCLA unless you're not watching college football and you're thinking, Oh, it's a chip Kelly team getting 21 and a half points. What are they doing here? But UCLA has just been a colossal disappointment on offense. Like what I was, I was saying earlier in the pod and, and Rob's uh, numbers backed it up that UCLA is one of the least explosive offenses in the country. There are only two teams that have fewer 10-yard gains and 20-yard gains on offense that have played two games in all of college football this season. That is pathetic. And Oklahoma, they have the most 10-yard gains, 20-yard gains, 30-yard gains, and 40-yard gains in all of college football. Like Lincoln Riley, he is what Chip Kelly was a decade ago. Like He's the hot commodity. Just all, all this... Uh, all this offensive hoopla, like, like his play calls are amazing. UCLA is not going to be able to rush Jalen Hurts. Like he's going to have all day and, and they're not going to run it up the middle. Like, like they, they're just going to rush it like all over the place. Oh, I, I really wanted to take UCLA here, but I, I and um, with the crowd, like they, it was their lowest uh, attendance in 25 years last game. So th- there is basically no home field advantage um, anymore there. So, I'll 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 go Oklahoma as well. I don't like it because I feel like that this is such an obvious play, and that everyone else is probably going to say the same thing. But there's just not. I, I just maybe if Darnay Holmes comes back, that'll help because the secondary's been a nightmare. But I, and yeah, I, I just I can't do it with UCLA. Can't do it. Okay. So, one other thing. So mm-hmm. Alex, I was going to say Alex Grinch, their Oklahoma's new defensive coordinator. He never faced. Uh, Chip Kelly at UCLA, uh, just because he was at Ohio State last year in, in Kelly's first season. But they were actually on the same staff back in the New Hampshire days when Kelly's offense, like first, was starting to gain notoriety. So I, I just think that that's another interesting wrinkle too. That that Grinch is like somewhat familiar with Kelly's offensive t- tactics. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That it'll be interesting. Um, and my goodness, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game probably for the first quarter, <laughs> and then they're going to flip over to another network game. Um, let's move Saturday 7:45 on the Pac-12 network. I just want to pay homage to Oregon versus uh, Montana. Um, Oregon just destroyed Nevada. Like it was inappropriate what they did to that Nevada defense. And Rob, this was a, a spot that you and I had identified earlier in the, the off season as a possible hiccup game for Oregon. And boy, howdy, did they not, <laughs> did they not live up to that? They really took care of business. And just to, just to highlight, like there has been a lot of hate on Justin Herbert, um, the last year. And then even, even into this, this coming game, it was interesting. People were saying that Herbert wasn't good in that Auburn game. I thought he was solid. Like I thought he, he yeah. really played well accurate. He, he was throwing the ball on a frozen rope a number of times. Like he was hitting out routes and stuff and he had himself another good game. He didn't start great, but at the end of the day, 19 for 26, 310 yards, five touchdowns against a defense that could be confusing, Rob. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you, if anybody came away and there were some national 
football commentators who came away saying that Herbert didn't have a good game against Auburn. Like that's idiotic. Like he had a, a, a patchwork group of wide receivers that weren't creating separation all night going against that Auburn defensive line without a reliable running game that he could necessarily depend on. And he had himself a game. I mean, and, and, and the main complaint we've had about Herbert is that he he's a little inaccurate and he was, he was pretty accurate in that Auburn game. He was really accurate against Nevada and they came out angry and it's something that Oregon struggled against. And it was something that was sort of a harbinger of where this team was going to finish out last season that they didn't, play as well against some of their non-conference competition as an elite team would have. Uh, and that's, they clearly came out and showed that that was not the case against this Nevada team. Now, Nevada is not a very good team, it turns out. Um, and they really needed those five turnovers that Purdue gifted them. But uh, yeah, like this, this Oregon team, you know, like we're going to, we're going to get a good, and we, it's nice because we have a good run up to that before they get to face Washington. We're going to have them against Stanford and, and Colorado and Cal uh, and we'll have a real good sense of where they are because Washington still grades out pretty well in the model, but the model really likes this or this Oregon offense. It's got them at 10 right now. So uh, don't, don't say, I mean, Oregon's one knock right now and Hippolyte can argue with me about this is the, uh, the Oregon special teams. Um, But the model, it, it takes a little while longer for special teams to settle down in the model. So we'll see where they shake out. Okay, Max, I'll bring you in on the next one where it's, uh, you know, there isn't a line, but we are running up on an hour and a half. So I want to make sure to get to some of the bigger games here. Uh, Saturday, 10 a.m. on the Pac-12 Network, Colorado, three and a half point favorite on the road at Air Force. And I kind of like this game. Uh, I We've already talked about Colorado and Nebraska. They did a great job um, coming back in that second half. And, uh, and Rob, what do your numbers say on Air Force? Uh, it seems like their secondary is a total mess. And Steven Montez and... And that wide receiving core like makes me quite, quite interested in that three and a half. But I'm wondering if your numbers back that up. So Air Force is at number 97 on defense right now. They're at number 95 against the pass. So going against teams that could throw the ball, uh, not probably what Air Force wants to do. They've got uh, Colorado's a, five, a little over five, five point one seven point favorite in this game. Yeah, I mean they're not a, I mean they're not an overwhelming favorite in the model. They've got a 66% win probability, uh, but you like Colorado here. And the model, like the model, has been dropping Nebraska since uh, since the season opened. But yeah, Colorado should absolutely take care of business against this Air Force team. And you you almost hit a point where you know if the line gets any lower, you might as well take Air Force to win the game too outright. You know, like they're I like Colorado with that line. Yeah, obviously Air Force with the run heavy offense, like as as we know, uh, I just want to highlight like Tony Brown looked great. Katie Nixon looked like the real deal. You know, that wide receiving core that we had heard about last year, um, aside from LaVisca Chenault, seems to be coming into their own. So I feel yeah. like there are there is not a scenario where um, Colorado doesn't put up points in this game. But I just don't know about their run defense yet. And I don't know if the data is there on that yet. Do you have anything on their run D uh, Colorado's? Well, their defense is not good, um, and they've they've really struggled. And let me uh, shoot. Let me get to the run split. Yeah, because while he looks at that, Max, I do feel like it could be a letdown game to some extent. But I, I just feel like the talent disparity is probably in like it's not like Mel Tucker hasn't seen a triple option <laughs> you know, before in his life. Uh, what do you think? Well, it's interesting. So I was just curious to see when the last time Colorado and Air Force played, because obviously they're, they're, they're in the same state. This is the first time they've played in 45 years. Oh, because whoa. They suspended the, they suspended the rivalry 
because um, Colorado uh, students were egging um, uh, Air Force players and and, um, and soldiers from the stands like d- during Vietnam like, to oppose, um, you know, like their, their feelings about Vietnam. And so I thought that was actually very fascinating. Like I, I didn't understand the historical um, imp- or potential impact of this game. Not that, that that's going to sway me one way or the other. Um, <laughs> and then just doing some more research on, on, on Air Force. They went five and seven last year, but all seven losses were by 10 or fewer points, which I thought was interesting. And then also, I mean, the fact that this game opened at one and a half kind of tells you what the odds makers think of Colorado, that, that they're not legit, that their defense is a mess. Um, obviously, Air Force, like, like they, they're, they're not an explosive offense. I mean, they're a triple op- option team, but they still succeed in running the ball. And this is going to be a very low, like, both teams are not going to get a lot of possessions in this game. And will Colorado go back to its run first ways after how the passing attack shredded Nebraska and with air forces lacking secondary, I would hope so, but I'm not really sure with Jay Johnson. Um, I think this is kind of a trap game for Colorado. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, air force is coming off of air force is coming off a of bye. There's this, there's uh, first time in 45 years that, that they're playing, um, supposedly the best college football team in their state. Like, I think this game actually means quite a bit to Air Force. And asking to prepare for a triple option one week after having to deal with a Scott Frost offense, like, that, that's, a, that's a lot to prep for for a Colorado defense that's been a massive disappointment. So this is going to be an unpopular opinion or side, I think, but I'll go with the Falcons here. Ooh, free ball Ooh. pod. They're going to be all over you on that. But that's okay. That's okay. You speak the truth here. That's all fact radio. Who, do you, what, do you, what do you think here, Rob? Colorado, but Colorado split. I mean, if there's one, th- I mean, and the defense has been bad as they are way worse against the pass. They are at 107 against the pass and number 69 against the rush. So um, 69 is not very good. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> the Air Force grades out at number 14 in effective rush. But um, I I like I like Colorado to, to to hold down the fort here and uh, to get through this game. I mean, it's at home. I, I, you're right, though. I mean, preparing for a triple option team is is a real difficult ask. Um, I just don't know that I don't know that Air Force has the horses to stay with uh, stay with Colorado and, and a competent quarterback like Montez. Yeah, like to that point, Rob. I mean, Mustafa Johnson three sacks in the last game. He really was able to disrupt things. I think some of their linebackers are pretty good, but. Uh, <laughs> prepared for that max i, I don't know I, I i like what you're saying this definitely could be a trap game but i don't know if the yeah. talent disparity is that i just think it's going to be too big but what, what do you think well i was going to say the play that i would recommend and it's a it's a play i did with a different game so i actually bet Tulane first half against auburn this past weekend just because it was the Tulane option off well i mean they have uh, some option elements with willie fritz um, and then also zone read, but, and then Auburn was coming off that emotional win over Oregon. And even though it was Auburn's home opener, I was like, well, this is a tough offense to prepare for. It wouldn't surprise me if they struggled defending it out of the gate and they're coming off such an emotional win that, that, that it could be tough to get up for, for an inferior opponent. And I feel like that would, could probably be the case. Um, so I, I think air force money line first half could, could have some value. Um, especially if Colorado just tries to establish the run at the beginning of the game, like what, what, what they've done, but what they've been doing so far this season, like I, I think air force first, first half would be my favorite play for this game. Ooh, that's a good call. That's a good call. Okay. Let's move on to 
Saturday, 1.15 p.m., Cal is a 14-point favorite at home against North Texas. And again, Rob, I think this is where we're going to need your numbers because I've done some research on North Texas. Obviously, Seth Luttrell has had some offers in the Big 12. Uh, I don't know if their quarterback's name is Mason Feeney, uh, Feeney or Fine. I hope it's uh, Mason Fine. Uh, Mason, Mason Fine. Mason <laughs> Fine. That's a great name. Uh, he's good. He's good. 64% completion rate, 27 touchdowns, five interceptions last year. And he's doing the same right now. 65% completion rate, already 550 yards uh, in his first two games. But again, they were against Abilene Christian and Southern Methodist. So I'm curious what your numbers say about this North Texas team. So he's got uh beta ring's got Cal at number 43. Currently it's got North Texas at number 53. Um, Cal is just a very slight favorite in this game. Three points, just a little over three points, 3.11 North Texas on offense. They have a good offense ish for a group of five team. They're number 52. Of course, they're going to run into the buzzsaw that is Cal, but they're more balanced than I think people give, uh, might assume given that they're sort of an air raid based team. They're at number 47, um, at, uh, rushing the ball, number 62, passing the ball. Their defense is not particularly good. They're at number, they're at number one oh one. Oh my! Um, yeah, yeah. But they're they're a pretty good special teams team. Um, let me pull out their special teams number, and that 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 can matter uh, in particularly games where you have when you're playing against Cal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so their special teams are number six right now in the country. Um, like I said, like that number, that number tends to settle down a bit more, uh, as the season goes on. Um, but they, you know, they Cal's a team that if you can, if you can flip field position on at all, um, their offense can start. I mean, they did, they did move the ball pretty effectively against that Washington team. I don't know. I mean, like set, like, what is it? 14 points. That just, that feels like a lot. It feels like almost like for, for this Cal team that I'm not sure I fully trust yet. Well, that plus the fact that your numbers um, have it closer, I'm going to take I'll take the points um, and I'll take North Texas. But Max, you seemed you seemed all up on Mason Fine. So <laughs> what do you think? Well, it's just I, I feel like Cal is the poster child for this year's conference of underdogs. I, I in most Cal games this year. I feel like I'm going to be taking the points here just because this is a really strong defense. I'm not sure how much I trust the offense, even though they do look improved from last season. But especially in a Cal game where it's a double-digit favorite or double-digit underdog, I, I have to take the points here because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be another low-scoring game. Um, and Mason finds Seth Luttrell, like, like they've had experience facing Power 5 competition before. Cal's coming off another like uh, emotional win uh, against Washington. Um, so I, I like the spot there. I'm actually just – I just want to see quickly – how Cal fared the week after they upset Washington last year. Yeah. So they actually, no, it was kind of, they probably covered. So after they beat Washington, they were 19 to 13 in Pullman. So that's like, that's like oh. not bad, Yeah. but maybe, I mean, obviously they had to get up for that game because Washington state was the highest ranked Pac 12 team at that time, but maybe facing a team like North Texas, I mean, after um, going one uh, one and zero start in the Pac-12, maybe there could be a slip up or two there. And I just feel like with with like this, with this type of game, like in their opener against UC Dave, like all you need is like one giant mistake, and it makes it really tough for Cal to cover. Like they they fumbled the opening kickoff, and then after like uh, it was it was just really hard for them to cover UC Dave just because the offense it, it's not that great. 
So it's just like one fluky play, especially with North, with Rob telling me that North Texas has really strong special teams, which is absolutely an important factor for capping this game. Like I feel like Mean Green at plus fourteen. I, I I really like that side. All right, two more here. Saturday, September fourteenth at seven thirty p.m. Arizona is a four point underdog at home against Texas Tech, and uh, so Arizona played Northern Arizona, and uh, and points were scored more than a hundred. Six uh, Arizona scored sixty five. NAU scored forty one. The forty one points a little bit misleading because Arizona was throwing in a lot of different types of schemes and looks and players. Uh, like we had an offensive lineman playing tight end. Like it was it was kind of a funky game, but still forty one points uh, were surrendered by Arizona's defense against a, a not good NAU team. Uh, Khalil Tate fourteen for seventeen. He had two touchdowns. Grant Gannell, nine for 11. He looked really good. 151 yards, three touchdowns, no picks from either quarterback. Um, but at the end of the day, it looks like Arizona is going to score points. But um, Texas Tech is under the new leadership of Matt Wells, who was the former uh, coach at Utah State and a name that was floated around to be Arizona's head coach when they were looking after they fired Rich Rodriguez. And Rob, um, you follow Arizona football. What say you? I'm surprised that the line is that low. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be frank, like, sure, Arizona's at home. But, I mean, Arizona, I mean, you could argue, and I'm going to talk, I mean, after this week, I will be tossing out all of the FCS games that anyone has played out of the model. But I, I, I mean, I, I deprecate, you know, I mean, there's, I, I wait drives by the score and, you know, by the score in the game. Um, so that, you know, if, I mean, it was a blowout early on cause Arizona's offense was rolling, but it's not like even in the first half that NIU, NAU wasn't putting up some yards against Arizona's defense. And then Arizona's defense eventually was able to clamp down. But I, 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 the model has it as, as a almost eight points for Texas tech, 7.78 Arizona's offense is actually grading out pretty well right now. Number 28. Uh, but that defense is number 116. I mean, the special teams, I think, are at 128. Texas Tech is at number 44 in the model. Um, they played They played pretty well. I just, I don't know. I, 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 at this point, I, I feel like Arizona's defense has taken more than two steps backwards. And I, 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 I don't think you can place any faith in them. Yeah, and we'll talk about this a lot on Wildcat Radio. I think the one thing on my end that stands out is normally, you know, it's a home dog. I like that in a shootout, you know, give me the points, but uh, Arizona's offense tends to peter out. Uh, you know, there's going to be big plays and then there's going to be times where Texas tech is able to put the the stop to Arizona's offense just because Khalil Tate isn't super accurate or he's going to, he's going to miss just easy throws or, or just miss a read. And it's going to be three and out a couple of times. And Arizona's uh, defense is going to give up a ton of points. And one of the things, you know, this isn't the full on air raid that, that, you know, you expect under Cliff Kingsbury, but one of the things that Matt Wells, does well is he has a balanced offense and he likes to throw into the intermediate area and i do not trust arizona's intermediate defense farther than i can throw them i don't know if the their um, linebackers are great in coverage i don't think their secondary is great in coverage and i can just see a scenario where texas tech drives and drives and drives and drives and is able just to beat arizona in a stadium that will likely be half filled but max uh now we're too biased you know we're, we're both we'll, we'll we both follow arizona pretty quickly i'm curious from an outside perspective what you think I don't know. This, uh, there have been a lot of interesting lines this week. Like, like Vegas is like make like it just feels like a landmine of traps. Yes. this week in the Pac-12 <laughs> game, and, and this yeah. is, and this is another one. I would say um, I'm not really sure what to make of Texas Tech. Yes, yet yes, they're two and zero, 
But, I mean, Rob would have better numbers than I would here. But, I mean, Alan Bowman's averaging 7.1 yards per attempt. And I feel like compared to under Cliff Kingsbury, that that's got to be lower than what it was last year with Cliff. Um, so I feel like the offense isn't as explosive, but then again, you're facing an Arizona defense, which, which is the king of allowing explosive um, plays. So, I mean, on paper, like, like, yes, this definitely screams Texas tech. And, and I just feel like I'm frustrated with Arizona's coaching, even with Khalil Tate, with some of the decisions that he makes and Arizona, like, like it's just a very boomer bust offense and, and they're not very consistent. But I, I guess that that wasn't the case. I mean, I, I didn't watch any of the Arizona of Arizona's game last uh, this past weekend, and maybe you guys could tell me if like if there were any like adjustments made on offense, like if they if they ran the ball more, if they were going for safer throws instead of just chucking it thirty forty yards downfield <laughs> every other pass, like st- like stuff like that. I, I don't think there's much you could take from that game. And Rob, you can you can jump in here too. It just seemed like NAU was so bad, like it was big play after big play after big play. But some of those big plays were on the ground, and some of them were through the air. And um, I just yeah. from the offensive side, I didn't take much away from that. What do you think? No, and I think some of where Arizona's landing, though, is also because they they and Oregon State have both played Hawaii. And so Arizona's getting graded out against how they did against Hawaii versus how Oregon State did. And then also how Oregon State did against Oklahoma State. Like the the model is sort of like a web, right? Like when we're just building out all the threads that connect teams together. I, I mean, Arizona's offense, like. Yeah, they they were they were they had some inefficiencies in that Hawaii game, but they were mostly able to put up points. And people for uh, Arizona rarely forced Hawaii into punting the ball. I mean, they had a long field every time, and that that will come back to haunt you, even if against a bad defense like Hawaii. Um, so I I don't know. I mean, the the, the uh, they definitely had. I wouldn't take too much away from that Northern Arizona game and the backup QB uh, Grant Gannell came in and had a hyper efficient game (laughs) Um, in there and they, and they ran (laughs) the ball really well uh, as well. So there's, there's some things that you don't, I mean, Khalil Tate, you know, can't get frozen. Like he throws too many deep balls, that kind of thing. That's still going to be true. I think that they're, I, I think that, I think Arizona's offense is, is good enough to, to make this a game. I do think, however, it's the question that, I mean, I had it with Arizona, you know, for the last couple of years, which is if the defense is is giving up points every time, um, does Arizona have a good enough offense to keep pace? And the answer's usually been no. And that's what I sort of uh, I look at here. Like, I mean, you got to be salivating to play Arizona's defense because they, they really did struggle for a lot of the same reasons against uh, Northern Arizona as they did against Hawaii. I... I don't know. I, I just feel like maybe Texas is beat or uh, either. I feel like the line's a little uh, inflated in favor of Texas tech. I mean, the, the red Raiders, like they last year, even under cliff, they, they, um, they destroyed Lamar 77, nothing um, in, in like their cupcake non-conference game. And I feel like this could be a similar case of padding their stats. Cause I think currently they're, they're top 10 in yards per play allowed on defense just because they played two lackluster opponents. But I don't, I don't know how much I'm buying on, on this drastic improvement from Texas Tech's defense. And oh, it, it, I really do not like backing Kevin Sumlin and Marcel Yates, but I feel like I'm going to have to go with the home dog here. 
Okay. All right. Well, we'll take a look. I mean, it'd be a big win for Arizona. Um, I mean, if you were to tell most Arizona fans, would you take two and one coming out of non-conference? They would say yes and just assume that that was Hawaii and NAU, but um, that would be a good win for them at home. So we'll keep a look at that. Last game of the night. We don't really need to break this down, but I wanted to give you, Max, a chance to talk about this. So Saturday, one fifteen, Oregon State versus Cal Poly. And Max, uh, Oregon State had a an interesting call <laughs> late in the game, if you would like to talk about it. Oh man. Well, so, uh, I was, I was one of those Pac-12 degenerates that had two screens on at three in the morning, Oregon state, Hawaii on Facebook and Cal Washington on Fox sports one. And, and it was beautiful. I, I Larry Scott, don't fool around with this 9am time slot. Go with the 3am time slot. Much, much better in my opinion. <laughs> um, so it was a tie game. Uh, it was like six minutes left in the fourth. And Oregon State had, it was like fourth and six from like their own, like 34, 35. And Jonathan Smith just unveiled this horrendous fake punt. <laughs> and it, it just didn't even come close. And so Hawaii got the ball um, on, on the plus side of the field. And give credit to Oregon State's defense because they only allowed a field goal there. So the Beavers still covered. But, ooh, just not, not, not the best time to whip, to whip out uh, an unfortunate fake punt attempt. <laughs> well, Oregon State should take care of business against Cal Poly. If you're in a Pac-12 eliminator pool, this is—I'm assuming everybody's going to submit Oregon State uh, this this coming week. I will certainly be taking them, and uh, hopefully, they're able to take care of business at home. Um, guys, this has been a long podcast. I know we're, we're going to tight. We try to keep these as tight as we can, but there's just so many games, and they will lessen over time as we get into conference play. But um, Max, thank you again for coming on. Where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at the Max Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R on Twitter. Or if you go to SI.com slash gambling, uh, you can see all of my best bet picks there um, for college football. Last week, four and three. So I am now up to eight and five on the season. Small sample size, but I'll take the nice start. Well, you have a good track record, too. So I would say this is the beginning of of the ride, <laughs> the beginning of uh, the Max train plowing through town. Um, and then, Rob, where can people find you and where can people find your advanced stats? Uh, I'm at beta rank FB, uh, at, on Twitter. And then you can find all of the stuff at, uh, sharp college football.com. Um, and we've got a lot of interesting tools that you can slice and dice, uh, all the data that we've got available. Yeah. Check it out guys. Thank you so much for coming on and we'll catch you next week. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to Saturday at 1230 Stanford. A two and a half point favorite on the road at Central Florida. <laughs> oh, no way. Wait, wait, wait. No way. Stanford's Did I make favorite of the state? No way. Did I not do that? No way. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Let me let me No, I Stanford's a seven and a half point underdog. How did I get that? So I've been using oh, odd. I, I thought I, I was gonna like just I was gonna stop whatever I was doing. I was gonna like drop this podcast and run out and bet and an enormous <laughs> How did I get that? I, I use odd that shark, been, but man. that would have been the worst. That, that would have been the worst opener of all time.